this story, this issue, has been going on for a long time. It's been a huge matter of political discussion in the last few days. You knew you were coming on to do this interview this morning, and you've told us you don't know whether or not he paid a penalty. You don't know whether he sorted out his tax affairs while he was the chancellor, when he was actually the tax man's boss, which I think many people would think is a blatant conflict of interest. And you don't know whether he discussed it with the Prime Minister. Can I ask you, is that because you don't want to know, because it's uncomfortable to talk about this, or if it's because Nadim Zahawi is keeping, him, keeping this to himself? Because our viewers might wonder, how on earth are you here talking for the government about this this morning when you don't have answers to what are really straightforward questions? Well, because, Laura, I spent the whole of uh, last week in the United States of America and in Canada having on Monday just made a statement about the execution of a British dual national by the brutal Iranian regime. I arrived uh, back in the UK early on, uh, <clears throat> early on Friday morning. Uh, on an overnight flight before then going on to engage with my constituents uh, through Friday and uh, having a bit of a, a bit of a rest and doing some shopping on Saturday. So uh, my week has been focused on the, uh, the UK support for the people of Ukraine, the UK support for British nationals overseas and trying to um, ensure <clears throat> That, that I deliver on my function, which is to be the face and voice watching this morning of the UK that the overseas. Foreign Secretary is a very busy job, and those are all important issues that have you raised there, apart from maybe doing your shopping. But I'm sure your family was sure, uh, glad that you managed to squeeze that in. But this has been a serious matter of political conversation and debate in the last few days. Don't you think the public has a right, actually, to these answers? It's about a senior minister in the government getting in a mess over millions of pounds to the tax man. It's not some random, obscure issue. Sahaway, ho, ho! Sahaway, oh, 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 oh! How are you? Welcome to uh, Off Kilter. Uh, with me, Ronnie Barber. So, well, so they did one of these. Yeah. So, Harvey, uh, he was careless with uh, filling in his tax form. Uh, and so, he's had to pay uh, his taxes, uh, like we all do. But, you know, he was careless. He, it was some, you know, like millions of shares that he didn't quite get right. Uh, HMRC investigating while he was a chancellor. Uh, yeah, or applied to be wherever, uh, but he but cleverly didn't know a thing. He was shopping everybody. Leave the man alone. He was in America last week trying to sort out the Iranians. Anyway, that's. Uh, but what's happened now is we're going to get an ethics, an ethics advisor, uh, who will. Um, he he. They will get to the bottom. It's somebody called Laurie. We don't know any more than that. But uh, they're going to get it. But here's my thing. Oops, here we go. Sahaway. Oh, oh. Sahaway. Oh, Yeah, uh, the HMRC, who used to be Linden Revenue, they've already done an inquiry. That's why he's paid up, and I think there was a penalty involved. But uh, Sunak has dived in and uh, said, right, we're going to have uh, an ethics. Yes, we're going to have an ethics advisor. He always looks, Sunak always looks like a man who's uh, trying to tell everybody about uh, masturbation. Every time he's on the television, he always looks excited. I've discovered it! Ah, it's masturbation! Um, so anyway, the, uh, we're, we're waiting to see what that is. Now, what that means now, of course, 
is that they'd no longer have to answer questions. So we'll go to the inquiry, and by the way, we're not getting the full results of the inquiry, it's going to be a summary of the inquiry. Perfect, isn't it? Perfect. Mind you, what's his name? Sunak. Aye? He's a bit of a devil. Back seat. No seat belt. Here we go. Sahawi. Ha ha. Sahawi. Ho ho hey ho. Yeah, he got filmed. See, you know what? We can, we know they're corrupt. We know they're liars and everything. I think the biggest thing as well is they're so incompetent. At no point when he was getting filmed in the back of his bloody car, they go say, "Put your seatbelt on, Rushy." Hey, Rushy, put the seatbelt. Oh, right, yeah, sure. And then that would have been edited, and probably that wasn't the first take. There probably a few takes, and then they released it. They haven't even got the competence to sort out the whole thing about making sure it's legal. So, mind you, if Jimmy Savile hit no bit better. One click every trip. Uh, so you are listening to uh, Off Kilter with me, Ronnie Barber. Uh, we're here uh, assembled, as we uh, normally do, for a bit of nonsense and talky bits. Talking of Sahawi, he got done over again this week. A man called Kushti. You want to hear this story? Okay. A man called Kushti. Rishi Sunak duped by a Falklands water Walter Mitty, who is actually a pub singer called Kushti. <laughs> Chris Webber joined a veterans meeting with the Prime Minister after claiming he was a Falklands hero, but it's now been revealed he bought his greenberry from the internet. So he's picked... <laughs> oh no! Again, it's the incompetence. How did he manage to get through all the, uh, the security and everything? A war hero pictured at a veterans meeting with Rishi Sunak has been exposed as a fake. Uh, Chris Weber, uh, Weber uh, bragged about killing Argentinian soldiers on undercover ops behind enemy lines in the Falklands. In reality, his career has included stints as a holiday rep and a pub singer in Spain under the stage name of Kushti. Last month, the Fantasist 64 was invited to the Veterans Summit of 10 Downing Street, where he also spoke to ministers, including Chief Secretary of the Treasury, John Glenn. They were unaware that the hoaxer had bought his greenberry and medals from the internet. A security probe is now underway after he was unmasked by a veterans group which exposes fake war heroes called the Walter Mitty Hunters Club, which I like a lot. Uh, members spotted that two of his medals were non-military and his cap badge was from the reign of George VI. The group used a decoy to contact him on the internet. He claimed he was the PM's veterans advisor and had nine years in the army. Weber also boasted of being the first to land in the Falklands four days after the Argentinian invasion. Argentine invasion. Uh, he said, I was quickly seconded to the intelligence corps as I spoke fluent Spanish. I was a spook. On the 5th of April 1982, I landed as part of a four-man covert team to observe enemy movements. I was there for 74 days and lost 255 colleagues to Argentinian hostilities. I once adopted the role of an enemy soldier. If I'd been sus, goodness knows what would have happened to me. Losing friends who were like brothers to me has been very difficult. And there's a good picture of him wearing his berry, which barely fits. And it's not even done the right way because I've worn a berry. Oh yeah, I've worn a berry. You've got to wet it first. 
And you know, yeah, you put your berry, you get your berry, and it's too, it's too big usually, and you soak it, and then you dry it overnight, and then you put it on and you shape it. Well, no, you shape it after it's wet, and then you dry it, and it shapes to the right way. Weber from uh, London also claimed to have a, a PTSD and convinced homeless veterans charity Stoll that he'd spent three years living in his car in Sheffield, but his only army service was a few months in the territorials in the 20s. In his 20s. When the veterans confronted him, he apologised and admitted lying. He told him, my grandfather and father served in the Second World War and I wanted to be like them. He added that he felt absolutely dreadful. Ah, well, at least you keep the berry, son. You keep the berry from the, the whole thing. Ah, yeah, you don't lose the berry. Keep the berry. And you never know, there might be a fancy, uh, a fancy parade, yeah, fancy... What's a fancy, a fancy... Um, fancy dress, fancy dress. Right, the next up is... Can we talk about Davos prostitutes for a second? Are you all right with that? Yeah. You know, Davos is happening where the uh, the great and the good... It turns out, go and get, well, some of them go and get laid. While they're fixing the world of uh, sorting us out with the problems of um, what to do with the economy, uh, the, the you know, global warming and everything, coming up with the big thinking. Prostitutes get into Davos because it's a good time for them. Uh, prostitutes gather in Davos for annual meeting of global elite where demand for sexual services rockets during the economic summit. Uh, prostitutes report a surge in the business uh, during the annual gathering of leaders. Escorts are booked into delegates' hotels alongside business executives. Sex workers dress in business attire and rub shoulders with the global elite. Well, they would, wouldn't they? Uh, I mean, it's, apparently escorts are booked into the same hotel as the, uh, the high-powered bosses, and uh, make, make sure they, if they be fancy a bit, away from the stresses and strains of uh, sorting out world events. Well, you know. Uh, one sex worker named Liana said she dresses in business attire so she doesn't stand out among the executives, despite prostitution being legal in Switzerland. Is it really? I didn't know that. Okay. I'm not going to... Well, it's quite an interesting place. You can get laid and you can go and die. In, uh, in Switzerland, I didn't know that. Salome Bathos, who's a, who's a sex worker and writer, staying at a hotel near there. Uh, this uh, woman, she told Bild, which is a newspaper, not uh, Salome, uh, she told Bild, she regularly... Not Bill, Bild. She regularly sees an American who visits Switzerland multiple times a year and is among the conference attendees. Liana charges around 700 uh, um, euros for an hour and 2,500 for the whole night, plus travel expenses. Oh, yeah, and she'll give you receipts as well. The manager of one escort uh, service in Aragu, uh, 100 miles from the summit, says she's already received 11 bookings and 25 inquiries and expects many more this week. She told 20 Minuten, which is a 20 Minuten, uh, some also book uh, escorts for themselves and their employees to a party in the hotel suite. Uh, Salome uh, said, uh, date in Switzerland during uh, work WWF means looking at the gun muzzles of security guards in the hotel corridor at 2am and then sharing the giveaway chocolates from the restaurant with them and gossiping about the rich. You see, they, they were not doing some kind of global thing. That wasn't what was this. They were actually just going on sex. Come on, get off their backs. Well, some of them. What have I got now? 
Oh, yeah. Um, this is one for you. Would you like to buy some uh, land on the metaverse? I took a photograph. I don't buy newspapers. I just take photographs of the pictures. This, I think, was in the Times today. Yeah. Virtual land grab. This is from the uh, Times today, I think. It was Mark Twain who uh, purportedly said, buy land, they're not making it anymore. It turns out the American humorist was wrong. Landlords are snapping up digital space in the metaverse. Yes, the metaverse, everybody, and uh, and renting it out for profit. The practice took off in, uh, in Decentraland. It's a 3D virtual uh, world opened to the public in February 2020. Prospective landlords can buy virtual plots as non-fungible tokens. Great band, NFTs. I had that as well and I'd put cream on it. Um, NFT, uh, digital certificates that could record ownership on a digital ledger before setting a price to rent out their properties for days, weeks or months. A block of land near the centre of Decentraland is on sale for uh, $198,000. A mana, not dollars. In the in-world cryptocurrency, I thought cryptocurrency had hit the wall, didn't it? Didn't you? Uh, yeah. Anyway, you can buy it for one hundred nineteen thousand dollars to rent the plot for a day, cost one hundred seventy-five mana, or one hundred thirty dollars. Uh, the tenant can build on the plot, and Mastercard and Heineken have used the system for one-off virtual events known as experiences. Yeah, I think we've all had experiences with Heineken. Both worked with uh, LandVault, a company that helps customers buy, sell and rent land in the metaverse. The digital world champion, uh, championed by Mark Zuckerberg. Who's Mark Zuckerberg? Yeah, him. Founder of Meta, which was Facebook or whatever. Sam Huber, LandVault's uh, chief executive, said it was basically a construction company, but in the virtual world, so we kind of operate like a real estate company. He's got more than 200 staff. People are buying land on the internet, which is not really land. It's, yeah, they know they, listen, come on, give them a break. They're clever people. They clearly know what they're doing. They're, I mean, they're not just going to spend their money on nothing. Oh, hang on, I've got, I've got a better story for that. Oh, yeah, it's time for Animal Tragic, everybody. Meow. Pet fish. Pet fish commits credit card fraud as owner finds pet ordering Nintendo Switch items. <laughs> oh, the clever fish had already completed the Pokemon uh, game in just over three thousand one hour hundred hours, but the owner wasn't happy. That, and that with that, so try to get the pet to do it, pet to do it again, but quicker. So this is what he did. Uh, he decided he would force his uh, uh, cooked fish to finish this. Tech giants Nintendo were forced to refund a bloke around three quid after his pet fish managed to commit credit card fraud. Lock him up. Throw away the tank. The uh, bizarre incident happened in Japan as part uh, uh, as a result of a live stream and experiment. Yorkshire, uh, Yorkshire, where's the tag come from? Japanese YouTuber Mutakamura had been training his pet fish to use Nintendo Switch. Well, of course you do. Using a special overlay grid with controls on it, matching that of the Switch console. Having already made the fish complete the Sapphire version of the Pokemon game series at around 3,100 hours in 2020, 
He wanted to get it better and be quicker. However, around 1,100s into the live stream, I was into the live stream earlier this month, the fish kept accessing the Nintendo eShop. <laughs> and while accessing it, the very clever fish bought around five, uh, uh, was it five quid's worth of credit and successfully showed the owner's credit card details to the world. This is seen as a chance by the odd people watching the stream uh, to have fun with the bloke's account. <clears throat> Several users gave the guy a new Nintendo avatar, costing him around costing him around 10 reward points that he'd built up over the years and bought a Nintendo 64 emulator app. And now I'm bored with the story now. Anyway, just watch what your goldfish... You know what they said, uh, you know, check what your kids are doing on the internet. Check what your goldfish is doing. You never know what they could be up to. You want another story from Animal Magic? Oh, Animal Tragic? Okay, here we go. I was mugged at Tesco's by a seagull in a scene like Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Richard Evans, a reporter of Wales Online, said the incident happened at Clandudno. Clandudno. Junction was like a scene from Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. I have a funny feeling they needed to fill the story. They did not have much news on Wales Online. Anyway, uh, he said it was something similar to happened to him before. It's mugged, he said. What, what was it last? Getting done by a seagull is not mugged, is it? A bloke who popped into Tesco, a bloke who popped into Tesco, it's a bloke, this is what it said, was the latest of the string of people to get mugged by a seagull in the car park. Richard Evans, a reporter from, well, we got that. Um, he said it's like a scene from... Yeah, we've got that. Uh, Wales Online reports that the publication is made aware of at least four incidents in recent weeks and it seems to be getting bolder with each successful aerial raid. The gulls sit perched atop the roofs of, <laughs> of nearby trolley bays and lighting posts are waiting for the unsuspecting shoppers to take their place, to place their shopping on their roof car, car roofs while they open the vehicle's doors. No, it's not the birds, it's the owners. Um, oh, hang on, I don't want to get you. Get, get off. I've never expected to be mugged in broad daylight. Sorry, I just semi-burped there. Nothing worse than a semi. Uh, but I should have known better. It happened before. The seagull swooped down and snatched my packet of sweets right before my eyes, nonchalantly flying off to the other side of the car park. Well, that's your seagulls for you. They will do that. They're a nonchalant flyer. He said he managed to pry the sweets from the gull's beak, determined because he'd been targeted just weeks off earlier, before. I should have learned. The same thing happened weeks earlier. The time the gull tried to take my wallet, but dropped out at the last second. Watch everybody what your gulls are doing, because they can get into yeah, They can. They can get into some stuff. <clears throat> Let's talk about Boris Johnson. Have I got a wee clip of Boris Johnson? I think I have somewhere. Let's see, let me see if I can find a clip of Boris Johnson. Yeah, let's have a listen to uh, Boris Johnson. Let me stop this music just for a second. Let me pause the music for a second because Boris Johnson has been to Ukraine with a little red book. He looks like Eamon, um, uh, what was his name? Eamon Andrews with the, this is your life. This says your, Zelensky, this is your life. So he goes to Ukraine uh, for a, uh, for a visit. And we paid for it, by the way. Of course we paid for it. But he went there with his little red book. I think it was to check his properties, you know, to see if there's a, you know, to, you know like a landlord does. He must have some properties in somewhere. Anyway, you know that's going on as well about his little 
£1,000 loan he got from his cousin, which was allegedly uh, arranged by Richard Sharp, who is the chair of the BBC, right? Okay, you got that? Okay. Who used to work for Number 10. Okay, right. And he's been a donor to the Conservatives, right? You got that? Richard Sharp, that is. So um, he's applied for the job to be the chair, and they reckon that this is all alleged, it's all alleged that they reckon that... Um, while he was applying, he arranged this loan for Johnson. However, Johnson came out in his usual inimitable fashion. And you know that thing he does, the public schoolboy bully thing? This is what he said earlier today. Hello, how are you doing? A repository? This is a load of complete nonsense, absolute nonsense. Let me just let me just tell you, Richard Sharp is a good and a wise man, uh, but he knows absolutely nothing about my personal finances. I can tell you that for for one hundred percent ding dang sure. This is just another example of the BBC disappearing up its own fundament, and that I propose is. is so it's just a coincidence that this appointment was arranged at the same time as your loan. Now there's a problem, you see, um, because. Richard Sharp has said he did organise that loan. OK, so ding-dang, sure, Boris, has he been caught again? He'll get off with it. But you see what they do. You see what they... they I mean, it's, it goes back to what, uh, cleverly. Um, they, they've, they've got to stage now, they just don't even bother to try and cover up. They just go, you guys are all stupid. You're all a bit... Yeah, so I'm just going to tell you, I was shopping. Or... Ding dang sure. Mind you, uh, Laura Kunzberg had um, her show yesterday. She, she had um, cleverly, but she also asked for Richard Sharp, who's the chair of the BBC, for a comment. He wasn't available. Well, you're not. Yeah, he's probably doing so. He might have been shopping with James Cleverly. The two, the, yes, the two of them might be going away for a wee bit of a shop. Anyway, let's get it, uh, music back on. I quite like that. That was like the muscle bar one. <laughs> We're nearly at the end of this uh, particular edition. Oh, uh, this is the other one. Greece is claiming to be on the verge of striking a win-win deal with the British Museum over the Elgin marbles. These were uh, marbles that were stolen from the, uh, the town of Elgin in Scotland and expects to start returning them before the end of the year. A senior Greek official said the red lines regarding ownership of the 2,500 old antiquities were immovable and suggested a new British Museum annex at the Acropolis Museum as a, one of the several possible solutions. They added, now, I, I think the chairman of the British Museum, I think it's, it's Osborne. He's done well, hasn't he, the boy? He's done well for cocking up the economy, but he's moved on to other things. Well, you do it, don't you? Connections, everybody, connections. And they added that the British Museum and the Greek government had ruled out any loan or trade or swap because any such deal would have to include reference to the contentious issueship of ownership. A red line for both sides. Here's my thing. I, I'm, I am a bit of a diplomat. Why don't we just knock up a copy? Why don't we just... Somebody keep the copy, somebody keep the real ones. Just make... You know, just get the repair shop to somebody. Just go in and say, can you... Can, is there any chance you can actually just make us a copy of the Elgin Marbles? Yeah, sure, we'll do that, aye. When do you, well, give me a week and then come back and you'll love it. We'll cover it with a cloth. Nobody will know any difference. 
So anyway, that's uh, we, we're getting losing the Elgin marbles. Is it uh, people of Elgin? I feel sorry for. Um, what was the other story? Oh yeah, uh, mummies as well. Uh, the bad news about mummies, uh, and it's uh, you know the mummies in America in, in the what's the name? What's the name of that place? Egypt. Um, well, there's an issue about the mummies uh, because mu uh, museum scrap mummy label over colonial legacy. Museums are removing the word mummy from labels that describe human remains in their Egyptian uh, exhibitions because it's deemed dehumanising and is a colonial past and has a colonial past. Curators are instead opting to describe them as mummified remains. Great band. Sodom at Glastonbury. And use their known names or sex. Oh, known names or sex. To brought you... I thought sex was... We've done that in Switzerland. And no names or sex to provide more information for visitors. The British Museum, Museum says it wants to emphasise to visitors that it is looking to the people who once lived... All right. Well, that it is looking at people who once lived. While National Museum Scotland and the Great North Museum, uh, Hancock and Newcastle, say they have... The North Museum... All right, Hancock. Not Hancock, Hancock. Uh, have dropped the term uh, mummy in part because it has a colonial past and evokes images of monsters and the supernatural. All right, so... Joe Anderson, you know Joe? Yeah, Joe. Uh, assistant keeper, I think it's Joe, uh, Joe with J-O, so it's, uh, it might be a lady. Or is it, can I call her a lady? Or, uh, it's female? No, I can't. They, he, well, anyway... Joe Anderson, assistant keeper of archaeology at the Great North Museum, said it was following the example set by Dr Margaret Maitland, principal curator of the ancient Mediterranean at the National Museum of Scotland. She has demonstrated how the word mummy has a colonial past. It's derived from the Arabic word mama yaya, which means bitumen. Bitumen, all right. Bitumen. Anderson wrote in the blog, this is a reference to the 18th and 19th century when mummified remains were collected in vast numbers and broken up to provide ingredients for things like medicine and paint. She added, the word mummy now even evokes the image of a supernatural creature or a monster. So don't you dare, whatever happens, don't you even do think for one second that you can, you know, use the word mummy ever again. Right, I've got to go. If you want to email me, it's ronniebarberatme.com. Ronniebarberatme.com. I'm going to, um, I'm going to uh, start doing a show for Caledon Radio, which is based in uh, Scotland. I'm going to be doing a, a one hour a week uh, for Caledon Radio very shortly. I think it's the Sunday the 7th or the 5th. I'll do another one of these. I'm going to do some warm-ups before I do this proper show. It's going to be an hour long. It's been a while since I worked. So ronniebarberatme.com is my email. You have a lovely time and keep your hands to yourself, you